0: The Holy Gospel according to Saint Luke, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. But Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. And now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all of this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you, O Christ. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. For the past several weeks, we have had uh, readings from the prophet Jeremiah, but as we are always presented with more scriptural passages than we have time to fully explore, I have not mentioned any of those texts from Jeremiah in my sermons. Uh, In part, that's because the Old uh, Testament texts can seem so foreign to our own context that they they take some time to sort of uh, set up or unpack, and the language sometimes can be uh, so dense that it is hard to follow. But our reading from Jeremiah today is actually quite easy to understand. It is about a very basic property transaction, but set in extraordinary times. Let's set the scene. Jeremiah 32, and by the way, Jeremiah is not written or compiled in chronological order, so different things happen at different times. But in Jeremiah 32, the nation of Judah is under siege. The Babylonian Empire is well on its way to conquering this southern kingdom of what we now call the landmass of Israel, but at the time was called Judah. Uh, At the end of Solomon's reign, the, the kingdoms of north and south became split. The northern part came to be called Israel, and the southern part was called Judah. Jeremiah is writing about 150 years before another empire, the Assyrian Empire, conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And the scriptures make it pretty clear that God would be so bold as to use a foreign pagan empire to conquer his own people. In Isaiah 10, we read, Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger! in whose hand is the club of my wrath. I send him against a godless nation. I dispatch him against a people who anger me, to seize loot and snatch plunder, and to trample them down like mud in the streets. And yet, later in Isaiah 10, when the Lord has finished all his work against Mount Zion and Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria, for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look of his eyes. In other words, God will use an enemy of his people to conquer them, and then he will judge that enemy that he used for their haughtiness. Well, Judah, now again, 150 years later, after all of this has taken place, they should have learned from Israel's mistake. God could and would use a foreign empire to judge them for their idolatry. But, of course, in their arrogance, they did not learn their lesson. After all, Judah was still going strong. Uh, Its kingdom was intact. Its defenses so far had held. And actually, it wasn't even unanimous against all the prophets that Judah would fall. In fact, the vast majority of prophets had nothing but good news for King Zedekiah. They said that his, sa- his kingdom was safe from foreign invasion. The reality was that Judah was in wretched shape. As described by both Jeremiah and Ezekiel and others, idolatry and apostasy were everywhere. These people of God had not kept their promise to God, not even close. They had violated the most basic of all commandments, not to have other gods other than Yahweh. And yet, in spite of all of that, the prophets are running around promising the king that everything is fine. Indeed, one of the more famous lines from the book of Jeremiah is when Jeremiah is saying to the king, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. In other words, the false prophets were going around saying, Don't worry, king, everything's fine, there will always be peace. Uh, that is what you call good news, but in fact, as we say, fake news. The king, of course, rewards these false prophets for their optimism, and he punishes Jeremiah for his pessimism, or as we would say, his honesty. Verse 3 in its fullness reads, For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him, Jeremiah, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. In other words, Jeremiah becomes a prisoner, a political prisoner, not of the Babylonians, but of his own king, the king of Judah, Zedekiah, Uh, and not because he's committed any crime but because he is speaking the truth and the king doesn't want to hear it. But by this point in the Babylonian siege, we are not just talking about saber rattling. Uh, Jeremiah is not just in a time where war is possible. And at other times in Jeremiah, that is the situation. He's saying, look, if we don't change, things are going to be really bad. We're, We're past that stage. Now, the 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 war is on the the not-so-distant horizon. Surrounding territories of Jerusalem have already fallen. Now, the temple has not been destroyed. Jerusalem has not been destroyed. Uh, That is going to happen in the year 586. We're still some time away from that. But this brings us then to this curious land transaction that sets the stage for one of the most hopeful messages in all of the Bible, in the Old or the New, Testament. Jeremiah receives a message from God that his cousin Hanamel will come to Jeremiah while he is in prison, and he will offer him a piece of land for purchase. The cousin seems to be doing something nice for Jeremiah. He's reminding Jeremiah that he is, in fact, the, uh, he, he possesses the right of redemption for this land. But this land was, in fact, under siege. It may already well have been the property of Babylon through sheer force. It was a war zone and there was no prospect at all that this land would ever return to its rightful owner. Now that land was then as good as lost. Uh, I think by any objective standard, it was worth nothing at all. And yet, in our reading, there is this meticulous uh, following of this land transaction. I mean, it's like being at the the realtor's office, the title company's office, and watching all the paperwork get signed. You know, it's like 500 signatures to buy this land. Jeremiah meticulously pays 17 shekels of silver, and he's very careful to safeguard and procure the deed. The deed is signed and it is transferred over to Jeremiah in the eyes of many witnesses. And Jeremiah says to store the deed in an earthenware vessel, Uh, not unlike the vessels that would have stored the Dead Sea Scrolls, which, as we know, preserved those documents for thousands of years. So he's saying at some point in the future, I'm not sure when, this deed is going to become valuable again, and I want it stored for a long time. Now was Jeremiah doing this because he was a land spectator? Uh, was he hoping for a return on his investment? Was he buying cheap, hoping that once the Babylonians go, there's going to be a land rush and he's going to make a lot of money? Was he taking advantage of his cousin's pessimism? It's called buying the dip, right? You know, when the when the real estate or the stock market goes down, you pounce. When everyone is negative, that's when you buy. You get it for cheap, and then you ride the wave up. Is that what he was doing? Did he even need the land or want the land? No. This was something like a public performance, if you will, by Jeremiah. He was making a point, and it is a profoundly hopeful point. It is summarized in our last verse from our reading from Jeremiah 32. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Now, as much as we complain, and rightly so, about things like rising crime rates and a sense that our social order is not what it used to be or what it should be, um, we are not being besieged by a foreign army. We can scarcely imagine the fear, the hopelessness and helplessness, uh, the utter terror of a massive invasion by a foreign force, the terror of a painful and brutal death, of the destruction and theft of our families, uh, of the loss of our homes, and of course the loss of our religious places and communities. But that was exactly Jeremiah's situation. All seemed lost. There was no point in investing in the future because there would be no future. But Jeremiah is saying, yes, there will be. And he puts his money where his mouth is. He is saying if there is a time while God will, will destroy even the great Babylonian empire, even the great Nebuchadnezzar, He will bring Nebuchadnezzar, in fact, to his knees and Jerusalem will be restored. And that is exactly what happens. It takes several decades. That's what the books of Daniel and Ezra and Nehemiah are largely about. Uh, In fact, I think it's in Daniel 4 that Nebuchadnezzar is literally made to go out of his mind and he ends up in a field with, you know, look like Poor old Howard Hughes in the you know, like early 70s with long hair and long claws and everything. And he's lost his mind. And then his mind is restored and Nebuchadnezzar gives a great testimony to the God of Israel that he is the true God indeed. But that couldn't have been imagined at the time. Now in our own time, in our own day, God does not promise us that life will always be easy or that we will always have or get what we want. There are still many uh, false Christian prophets, I'm using the word prophet very loosely there, who say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Do not listen to such false prophets. The promise of God is not necessarily peace, but rather that God will and can redeem all things, even war. God has good reasons for things taking place as they do. And since not all of God's purposes revolve around your pleasure or my pleasure, we cannot expect never to suffer. Sorry. The question for us is, what doomed piece of land are we buying in anticipation of what God is doing in and among us? And I'm not talking about actual land acquisition, though that may be part of your hope and faith in the future. But I would say, let's look at something like maybe the most important measure of having hope in the future, which is having children. One of the clearest signs that we are losing hope as a culture is our low birth rates. And there is great cynicism and negativity about the future. And one poll from Pew Research, 70% of adults believe that their children will have it worse off than they did. And that's a combination of like 19 countries. So this is a worldwide thing where basically people have become hopeless about the future. What are we doing now to prepare for the day when the reign of Jesus is more clear either because we have successfully pushed back against ungodly forces in this life, or because Jesus has indeed come again. In either instance, we need to be buying metaphorical land now, as did Jeremiah, so that we are prepared for the day of judgment. We need to be having children, educating them, and investing in the right institutions, Converting everyone we can and being wise stewards of our resources. It is the hopeless who only live for today and expect tomorrow to be terrible. We need to think a lot more like Jeremiah. Well, I've said nothing about our gospel lesson this morning, but surely the rich man lived only for each day. And he did no planning for God's judgment. When he asked if he could warn his brothers, Jesus says, hey, if the word of God is not enough, even a resurrection from the dead will not help. Well, in Jeremiah, the word of God is clear. God redeems all suffering in this life or the next. So live as though that is our reality, as did Jeremiah, from a prison cell in the middle of a siege, no less. Trust that God will provide for us a time again when all will be right with the world, having been redeemed by God. Amen.